0: Welcome to Liquid Church Audio. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered live at Liquid Church by Pastor Tim Lucas. LiquidChurch.com, living water for a thirsty world. I'm so glad you're here. Have a seat. Scooch over some so we can fit everybody else in here. Good times. Can we hear it for the band one more time? They did an amazing job. My goodness. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much. We had an amazing week kind of just, uh, just practicing for this, and uh, I just need to know how many of you were actually in high school or senior high when that came out? You were, okay, New Jersey born and bred. Raise your hand, okay? Yeah, I, oh, I, yeah, I saw your Z-28 in the parking lot. That's Awesome. Uh, Some of you, if uh, you were with us last weekend at our party on the green, you're probably familiar with that song. How many of you were with us Saturday at our party on the green? You were out there in Morristown. Awesome. Great to have you. If you volunteered, thank you. It was an incredible day. If you're new and just joining us, you're visiting, this is an incredible church. I need to let you know two things about our church just up front. One, we are unapologetically a Christian church. That means we are Christ-centered, we are Bible-based, we're a little bit OCD about Jesus, that whole thing. But if you're Protestant, you're Catholic or, or Jewish, or you're not even sure of you know, what you believe, you are welcome here today. Wherever you are, no, no kind of, you know, guilt them and, and you know, you're going to hell kind of thing and, and, and manipulation, but, but we're going to meet you wherever you are. Um, this is the kind of church where it's a safe place to ask questions about God and faith and actually have some fun in the process. Uh, that's the second thing you need to know. We're contemporary. That is one of our passions is using contemporary culture as a springboard for diving into God's spiritual truth. And this is the kickoff for our new series, if you didn't miss it, titled Rock God. And if you were at our party last weekend, you had a little taste of that New Jersey classic, You Give Love a Bad Name. That takes you back. Uh, I was in, in high school. Can I ask how many people actually at that point had a mullet? How many of you had were wearing a mullet? Pastor Tom had a mullet. Uh, you probably saw Pastor Mike still has one. Uh, So we're going to, you know, maybe you rock those, you know, big Reebok sneakers. But last Saturday on the green, our band played, and that was a miracle in itself. Uh, If you were there, you know it was supposed to start at 11. At about 10.50, the skies opened up and it just poured. It was torrential. You see Pastor Glenn in the fetal position underneath the table there? Um, but our army of volunteers would not be stopped. It was amazing, you guys who served, phenomenal. And after the tsunami, the sun came out, and, and so did the people. Um, there was about over a 1,000 people there, and this party was really our church's gift to the city of Morristown. It was a phenomenal time. The kids were all over the bounce house. There were a lot of adults, by the way, I saw on the Velcro wall there. That was, that was interesting. Uh, but David and the band played and just gave us a little, little taste of New Jersey uh, music, which is totally appropriate. I don't know if you know this. Um, David, uh, who leads our band, David Bancroft, is British. But he's really Jersey in his heart. I don't know if we have that picture of him from his days back in Manchester. Um, (laughs) Incredible, incredible footage. Anyway, we are glad you're with us uh, for week one of Rock God. Um, This is really a message series in which we're exploring the themes of of rock music, and using them as a springboard to dive into spiritual truth that's contained in God's Word, the Bible. Uh, Speaking of which, you have one of these on your seats. I want to invite you to take that out and turn with me to page 656. This is the book of Haggai. This is actually where we're going to be camping out for the next five weeks, kind of during our series. And what we're doing is taking this little-known minor prophet from the Old Testament and seeing how that applies to our life, today in the 21st century now now let's be honest who's even heard the name Haggai before okay I know and not 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 a popular one but but he's actually a prophet and that all that means is he literally spoke the words of God to his people Israel and this goes back to like 520 BC and it's a short book take a look at it you'll probably notice it's like whoa, it's just two pages there's actually only two chapters in all but it is packed with meaning for life in the 21st century. Uh, one of the cool things is we're going to go through this book verse by verse this month and really see what God has to say to us. And what we're going to do is let the music of the 80s actually kind of be our soundtrack as, as we move along here. I'm a big 80s fan. Anyone else love the 80s? Big bands, big hair, love it all. Uh, I remember the first Bon Jovi concert I saw in, in, in Giant Stadium in the energy in the parking lot and in and, and, and the Camaros. And uh, very, very unique cultural moment uh, the 80s were. And in a very strange way, the setting of Haggai is a very unique cultural moment in the life of Israel too. Here's what, here's what you need to know, okay? Just quick background. The Jewish temple, okay, in Jerusalem was destroyed way back. This goes to 586 BC and it was a big deal. Major catastrophe, okay? Because it was the center of the life of the Jewish people. And, and having their temple destroyed was, was, was a big deal because it was the central symbol of their relationship with God, or the God of the Bible, Yahweh, okay? And what happened is the armies of Babylon kind of came in there, and they just like laid waste to Jerusalem, trashed the temple, left it in ruins, and actually took the people of Israel into captivity as as their prisoners. But about 50 years later, I think it was about 538 BC, King Cyrus, he he was a Persian emperor, he decreed that Jewish people could go back to their beloved city and rebuild the temple. That's what this book's about. That's literally it. It's literally about rebuilding the temple, which again is the central symbol of their relationship with God. So in a lot of ways, the book of Haggai is literally about rebuilding your relationship with God. And that may be fitting for some of you here. Maybe you're here today and you're kind of burned out on religion. Maybe you're like me, I was kind of over church. The first shot I got when I was 17, like, goodbye church, I'm, all, I'm done. But you're, but you're still, you're coming into your own now and you're like an adult and you're like, I'm kind of longing to, to reestablish that, that connection to my faith and really figure out what I believe as an adult. Or, or maybe you're, you're wary of church and, um, and a friend dragged you here today they were like, you're going to play Bon Jovi, and it's like, oh, all right, I'll get But you're, you're like on your own during that. That's fine. Maybe you don't even have a relationship with God at all. Maybe you just kind of have a generic, you know, vague notion of a higher power, and, and, and that's fine, unless it's Oprah. Wherever you are, <laughs> longtime time believer or, or, or brand new, okay, to, to Christianity or just kicking the tires of faith, this story is for you. Here's why. The story of Haggai is really a story of all of us. It is the story of God's desire for a living, breathing relationship, our neglect of that, and then his repeated invitations to reconnect and reestablish that relationship we were meant for, okay? So I want to read this first section together, but just let me pray for us before we dive in. Father, open up our hearts now. To your truth, Father, beyond the music uh, and the noise, Father, um, we're here more than just to have a good time, but to actually hear from you at the deep places, Father. So I pray for every man and woman in this room, the people who are listening online, our our group in Melbourne, Australia, Father, literally speak to us by your spirit, Lord. Help my words to get out of the way and just accomplish the purposes why, why these people are here today. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen. All right, Haggai chapter 1, verse 1, let's dive in together. We're going to read just the first 11 verses, then we're going to kind of rock some exegesis. Here we go. Verse 1, in the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai, to Zerubbabel, son of Sheltiel, governor of Judah, and Joshua, son of Jehoshaphat, the high priest. You got this? All right? (laughs) Literally, if it was New Jersey, I know, you're like, what the? If it was New Jersey, this would read, in the summer... All right. Down the shore. <laughs> exit 98. <laughs> God spoke through some dude named Haggai. Okay. To the local mayor, you know, Zerubbabel. And he passed it on to Josh, who was the kid of a priest. Okay. That's not the KJV. That's like the NJV. Okay. Verse two. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say the time has not yet come for the Lord's house to be built, all right? As I told you, the context is the rebuilding of this Jewish temple, and you've got to think of it this way. Jerusalem was like Asbury Park. It's like this bomb went off in this thing, okay? But in 538 B.C., about 50,000 Jews went back to the city of Jerusalem, and they were like, we've we got to fix this place. We've we got to take back the city, and, and, we, and we need to start with the temple, okay? But in verse 3, something happened. that says, then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. And look at verse 4, here it is. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? In other words, somewhere along the way, they got distracted. <laughs> okay? They began rebuilding the temple. And archaeologists actually say they actually laid the foundation of the temple and rebuilt the altar and everything. But then all of a sudden, let's just say they went kind of like New Jersey contractors. Like, where'd they go? What just happened? We're doing a remodeling, and and there's a lot of reasons for this that they kind of pulled out. But suffice to say, they got on with their own home improvements, all right? Look at verse 4. It says, is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house, God says, my house remains a ruin? In other words, instead of rebuilding the temple, the symbol of their relationship with God, the people did a very New Jersey thing. They decided to upgrade their own cribs. (laughs) They're like, church, whatever, (laughs) My place needs a new deck, a new patio, a new porch, new pool. It says paneled houses there. It just simply means they started using expensive wood on their own house. While God's temple, the relationship was neglected, back burner. And what happened was God sent this guy named Haggai to speak to these people about what was happening. Let's, now, I'll stop interrupting. Let's read the rest of the passage here. Verse 5 here, it says, now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. And you're going to hear that over and over again. You've planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You put on clothes, but you're not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. And some of you are like, oh, this is New Jersey. Wow. (laughs) Verse 7, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build a house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house, which remains a ruin while each of you is, what, busy with his own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew, and the earth its crops. I called for a drought in the fields and the mountains, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, and whatever the ground produces, on men and cattle and on the labor of your hands. And now this is interesting, because it's a little bit like we're eavesdropping on a couple whose relationship has gone bad, or hit a rough patch. Because what Haggai's describing here is basically the theme of every love song of the 80s. I want you to think of like the big ballads of the 80s. You remember Mr. Mister? Take... These broken wings, you know, and learn to fly. Kind of broken relationship, you know, cutting, cutting crew. I just died in your arms tonight. must have been something I said. Right? Every 80s song basically follows the same pattern, okay? In the first chorus, it describes this love relationship between two people. Two people fall for each other. It's all passion and love and promises to be faithful. That's the first chorus. But in the second chorus, what happens? Smash up. Someone screws it up. Usually it's the guy. And, and through betrayal, or in the case of the Jewish people, just neglect. Someone screws up the relationship, and now there's tension here. And that's the premise for every big 80s love song, and really Haggai, about unrequited passion and the pain that comes with it when someone puts more in the relationship than you. Shot through the heart, you're the one to blame, right? You give love a bad name. You know what? I play my part. Throw this up on the screen. Look at these lyrics. I play my part. You play your game kind of an accusation. It's you. You give love a bad name. It's all lip service. And that's basically the accusation God's levying against his people. God is like, I want this, a relationship with you, not a religion, but a back and forth relationship. I'll be your personal God. You be my exclusive people. Sound good. It's like, yeah, great, great. Let's build this relationship, which the temple symbolized together. And the people are like, "Awesome! That, 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 that's great, God. We, we'll get to work." You know, and so they start working. It's like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, like, "Whew, man, relationship is, is hard work." I'm going to actually take a half day Thursday. Is that cool? Uh, and and it's like Friday. I'm I'm actually I'm sorry. I'm just going long weekend down the shore. And and and, and Monday. Oh, I forgot to call. And God's like, "What's going on here? What what, what happened to this? Somebody somewhere is like checking out." I know it's summer and all, but somebody's phoning it in and neglecting this. Our relationship is in ruins. It's gone to pot. What I know, and, and we all, you know, you can identify with this. I know you say you love me, but look at this. All your time is going to all that other stuff that interests you. And this has gone to seed. And if you've ever been in a relationship where that's happened, inequity between the partners, you know how that goes. No, 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 that's not true. Well, I still care. I I still love you. No, no, no. No, I play my part and you play your game. You know what? You give love a bad name. It's all lip service. It's not love at all. Those of you who have been in a relationship that has been neglected, you know how that feels. That's why everybody loves singing along with like a little bit of edge, like shot through the heart. Like, yeah, because it's the anthem, a broken relationship. It's the anthem of every rock anthem in the 80s, and it is the story here in Haggai. But you know what? It's our story too. That's why we laugh at it. Because I'm guessing that there are many of us here who, if we were completely honest, if we, if we let's use the, the, the phrase, give careful thought to our ways, we'd have to admit, when it comes to our relationship with God, we're a lot like the Israelites. I, I mean, you're, you're in church, which in many circles means like, hey, you're, you're serious about God. But the reality is this. Going to church is not the most accurate indicator of the vitality of your relationship with God In fact, you can actually be sitting in church and you can sing songs and have your heart completely checked out (laughs) Off in a whole other direction Because your priorities are somewhere else And you know what happens that's when people look at a relationship and They say well, you know her heart's not in it really I mean or they're still together, but he's just kind of like, you know going through the motions And the reality is we do that with God Long-time Christians, brand-new followers, we say that our relationship with God is the priority, but the way we spend our time, our energy, our resources, our strength tells another story. Haggai 1-2, look what it says. He says God says, these people say, the time um, has not yet come for, for, for this relationship to, to be built. And, and what he's saying there is that people were actually kind of procrastinated, or they make excuses, you know, kind of for their neglect. You know how that goes. You kind of, well, you know, it's summer. I'll get serious in the fall. Or, you know, I'm not totally 100% this whole faith thing. I think I'm going to wait until like later in life when, you know, when I get married, then I'll kind of, we'll get serious. We'll do that kind of thing together. Or when we have kids, then we'll have time to do that. Um, you know, <laughs> um, my time has not yet, you know, come. Really, God says. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses, doing your own little thing over here, while this remains a ruin? You seem to have time for a lot of other stuff. And you guys know this, we make time for what's important to us. And, I can, and God's like, I can see your own little life, your house. that's pretty important to you. But this is in shambles. God basically calls them out. <laughs> it's like, I played my part. In fact, I'm investing in this, but you're playing a game, neglecting me. Everyone in this room who is in a relationship, which means everyone, <laughs> you know that. You invest your time in what's truly important to you. And when one party in the relationship gets neglected, they feel it no matter how much the other spins it or tries to kind of explain it or, or, or hedge away. It is painful when a relationship kind of falters and, and, and one partner is more passionate than the other. I know I speak from personal experience. Uh, just total admission. I, I recall this goes back. This is, this is as recent as a year and a half ago. I recall the pain that I caused my wife, Colleen, when we launched this church last year. Uh, getting, a, getting a church kind of off the ground, just kind of, it's a startup kind of thing, it takes a lot of hours. Those of you in business, you, you know, it takes a lot of hours. And my wife, Colleen, was super understanding. We kind of went into it, eyes wide open, We're like, this is going to be a tough year, it's going to be a lot of, you know, a lot of work. And she sacrificed a lot of late nights, weekends, but all the details of it just, uh, it just started consuming me. I, you know, men, we just kind of do this. It's like, we put our mind in a task, you know, just kind of focus on this kind of thing, right? And it's like so many new people, decisions to make, messages to prepare, and slowly and subtly, I began neglecting our marriage. In fact, I remember the exact words that Colleen used because at the height of her hurt and frustration, she said, you know, what happened to this? She literally did that. What happened to this? And, and, and short of it was this. She felt, Colleen felt, I was neglecting our marriage. And you know what? She was right. I mean, my, in my mind, my love hadn't, for her hadn't changed in my mind, but my priorities told a totally different story. So when I'd stay out at, you know, meetings, dish family time for ministry stuff, I had all sorts of excuses. I mean, it's all for Jesus, right? I got so bad that we actually went to counseling because I was pretty sure it was something else in her that was causing the issue. You know, I was playing my part. And I remember the day we kind of did this kind of, you know, counseling together. And then I remember the counselor actually saying, you know, I just kind of want to speak to you guys alone. Tim, why don't you and I just kind of meet first? I was like, that's good. We'll get to the bottom of what's kind of eating her up, you know? (Laughter) And he's like, Yeah, okay, just shut the door. And uh, <laughs> so let's talk about you for a minute. He goes, you got, a, you got like a little calendar or anything like that? I was like, Yeah, we, we, I took out an iPhone, I had like an iCal. And he goes, he goes, He goes, Just if I were to scroll through your calendar, your appointments, your time, what you invest yourself in, what's, what story would that tell me? And I was like, I was like Well, w- 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 what do you mean? He goes, If you literally, not what you're saying is your priority, I know. Call in the kids, is the right answer. I'm a pastor. I know what you're supposed to say. <laughs> but the story told by my life, how I was spending myself, he was like, think about this, Tim. I want you to think. Look at your calendar. And I'm like, thumbing through. He goes, think about how you're living, what you're investing yourself in, and where you're headed with this. That, that's literally what the counselor invited me to do. He's like, just stop for a moment and reflect. And this is literally what God invites his people to do here in verse 5, right? Now, this is what the Lord Almighty says, give let's read this together give careful thought to your ways you've planted much but you've harvested little you eat you never have enough you earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it and what god is describing here folks is that universal human experience when we spend our lives running harder and harder after things that we think this is going to be it this will what Finally, bring lasting meaning and true contentment, but actually, as we run, just end up leaving us more exhausted and emptier than we were to begin with. It is a universal experience if you 're human you 've had that feeling exactly four weeks ago we had uh, we had Scott Harrison from Charity Water visit with us here at liquid and, and, and those of you who are here it was amazing, just you know won 't go into the whole thing with the thumbnail of it was that Scott was a nightclub promoter in New York City, very successful. Uh, in his 20s, actually, just a few years ago. And, uh, and he had money to burn, as he likes to say, and his girlfriend was literally on a billboard in Times Square. Very successful by every measure, and as he <laughs> likes to say, one of the most miserable, selfish SOBs in the whole world. He goes, that's literally where I found myself. That's when God met me. He goes, I had everything. And he, had, he, goes, he goes, I had this moment of clarity. Give careful thought to your ways. And what happened is, as you know, he did this about face. Where he actually left to go serve in Africa as a photojournalist and wound up documenting the plight of the, wor- the poorest of the poor in the world. And actually founded Charity Water, which is about the freshwater wells that we, we've been digging this summer. And what he did is he goes, When I came back, he goes, I, I, I traded it all in. My Soho nightclub life, about face, and now I'm investing myself in the poorest of the poor, people who can't possibly pay me back in Ethiopia. Here's what that's called. That's called repentance, okay? That is a religious word. I know a lot of people, you know, it's got baggage, different things. You want to know what the the, the word repent literally means in Greek? It literally means think again. Think a new thought. Repent. Reflect on what's happening right now in your life and consider an about face. Give careful thought to your ways, is how Haggai puts it. You're working very, very hard. You earn wages, many hours, a lot of effort. But you put them in a purse with holes in it. How's it working out for you? More and more overtime, more and more trying to get everything together and to get the American dream and all that. Or does it feel, actually, like you're kind of on a treadmill, running harder and faster than ever? I'm not going to be able to do this at four services. <laughs> but actually... Getting nowhere. I I received an incredibly courageous email from a a friend in our congregation after Scott's visit. I asked him permission to share this with you um, because I think he does an incredible job of articulating what Haggai is saying in our context. He wrote this on Monday morning, the day after hearing Scott's course correction in his life. And this is one of the most bravest, I think, uh, honest, self-reflective emails I've received. He wrote this. He said, why do I feel so hollowed out by today's message? I feel like I've fallen prey to the vicious disease called modern American life. Some call it suburbanism. Some call it consumerism. I don't know what else to call it other than this life that I live. By all accounts, Tim, I'm living the life. And then he lists this. He says, a promotion-filled career, a godly, beautiful wife, vibrant, healthy kids, loving, supporting family, big house, great zip code, restaurant-quality wine cellar. And I've even got decent hair. Ha-ha, parentheses. I've known about the divide between America and the rest of the world forever, But for some reason today, that divide was so pronounced on a personal level. I feel like I've been knocked off my bearings, and it's been an unsettling day. No need to reply. I just needed to go to confession. You're a priest, right? Yes, but not a very good one. What I think he just nails is describing something that we all feel, (laughs) living where we do, when we do it's called the pull of like upward mobility it's part affluenza it's part just kind of this undertow of this consumer culture we live in but there's something in the water where we live particularly on the east coast that naturally invites us to look for meaning and purpose from the stuff in our lives rather than the giver of those gifts that is because in this in our little corner of the world in oz okay where we live Our crisis, it isn't a physical crisis like drought or famine in the third world typically, but it's a spiritual one. It's not caused by material lack, but a belief that material excess will finally provide the deep soul satisfaction that we're looking for. Now look, maybe you don't identify with this email. I understand that. Maybe you don't have a house or a great job or you wish you had a spouse or the picture-perfect family or you're like, forget it, restaurant, wine cellar, Whatever. But tell me there's something in you that doesn't just be uh, like at least, I wish I could at least taste it to see how bad it is, you know, to see for myself. I just wish I could know the, 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 the sadness of rejecting such a thing, right? That's the undertow of the American dream, a paneled house. That's what Haggai calls it, a full barn, working harder, getting ahead. And somehow somewhere along the way, actually, well, I don't know what happened, but this starts falling apart. We laid a foundation, but we haven't made much progress since. Maybe you're stalled in your Christian life. You accepted Christ in your heart, and you were but now just the foundations there. Because see, when God, gets, when God becomes an add-on to our Western notions of, of, of success, God doesn't do second place. When we neglect to put God first, we can labor all we want, we can be successful, but it's all in vain. Some of you know this. You, you've been blessed materially. You, you, you've gotten there, but deep inside, you're like, why is there still this little voice that says, why does it seem like I was made for something more? Where do you really believe you'll find true satisfaction? What, what, what story would your calendar, your checkbook, your efforts tell? I mean, maybe maybe it's money, career, your job. I'm a recovering workaholic. I still struggle with that. Maybe it's a relationship. You're convinced. You're like, happy. I will finally be happy once I'm married. <laughs> or if you're married you may be like you know once I'm apart from him then I'll get my joy back you know <laughs> or if we, you know if we can have kids you know or, or 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 if i could afford my if i can actually make the move from new jersey to some place cheaper then i will finally find that and then i won't feel so empty and exhausted running after it really give careful thought to your ways you've planted much but have harvested little you eat, but never have enough. They're not starving. You drink, never have your fill. It's just going through a strainer here. You've got pockets with holes in it. In other words, he's saying the harder people worked to build their own kingdom, the less they actually had because they neglected this. They dabbled in it on Sunday, but it wasn't first priority. And, and, and so the effects of it was a lot of overtime, but, but little fruit, eating a lot, but always hungry at the deeper places. And folks, that's the truth. The reason you feel that way is you are hungry for a relationship that only God, through Jesus Christ, can fill. You were created for it. God, through Jesus Christ, can fill this, but until you take a radical step, okay, of of, of give careful thought to your ways and turn this way, radically realign your priorities. It doesn't matter what your job is, who you marry, or how much you earn. It will leave you empty. Great house. Paddled crib, this in ruins. Give careful thought to, your, to this past summer. What, what, what do you find? Does anyone here find that you are making more and more efforts to get ahead financially? Or, 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 but you're finding greater and greater disappointment in your inner life. Is it possible, just possible, that it's not about this, what's in your wallet, but about this? Um, this summer, um, my little girl, Chase, has shot up. She's getting tall. She's gone through this growth spurt. She's six years old. She's up to here now on me. And I'm like, I can't believe this. I'm going to be that little dude. The little, full little father at graduation with the you know, white hair. <laughs> my little you know, my girl is... Anyway, she's, she's six, and so she's got these long legs now. And she's starting to do this thing that kids do, you know, when they start trying to take two and three stairs at a time. When they're going upstairs, they try to, like, jump stairs and everything. So we get to the mall last week, and she sees this escalator at Macy's. And, uh, yeah, like every kid, she gets the idea... Right of trying to run up an escalator that's going down, and and yeah, and so I'm there, and she's like, "Daddy, can I try to go up the escalator?" And of course, I'm like, "No, no, you'll crack your head. No responsible parent's going to let a six-year-old try to go up a down escalator." But uh, your mother's still in the shoe department, so. uh." Go for it, you know? And actually, I was like, oh, I'll just kind of watch, you know? It was actually kind of comical because this escalator's going down faster than she can get up the stairs. So she starts trying to, like, lift up and take the stairs two and three at a time. she's holding on the railing, but the railing is pulling her back down, you know? Holding on to it. No matter how much effort she put forward, she'd take two and the escalator would slide her back four. She couldn't make any ground. Until finally, she got so tired trying to jump the stuff. she's like, I'm getting worn out. I'm like, hold on. You know? <laughs> she's, she's going down. She must take 15 to 20 steps at one point, and then it just Took her and just landed her on her butt, and then all the security guards came to Macy's. She's sitting there, my little girl. You know what that's called? Life. <laughs> it's called life. The harder you try to climb, the bigger effort to the steps you're trying to make, because that's going to go, it's getting me to the top, the less lasting progress you actually make in reality. Israel's problem was confused priorities. And while they worked harder and harder trying to get up the stairs, all they got was spiritual exhaustion. In physical emptiness. Look at verse 9 here. Haggai continues. He says, you expected much, but it turned out to be little. What you brought home I blew away. Why? Here is the answer. Because of my house, this, which remains a ruin while each of you is busy with his own house. Would you notice something here? These were not bad people. These are not bad people. These were God's chosen people. They were handpicked by him for a critical task to rebuild the temple. They weren't bad. What's the word? They were just what? Busy. Is there any word that better describes the phenomena of living in New Jersey at the end of the 21st century? See, what's urgent in life is always the enemy of what's truly important. And when we busy ourselves... With what's urgent, home, career, relationship, sports, vacation, trips, pick your pleasure, it subtly crowds out what's important, this. What you brought home, I just <laughs> I blew it away. Meaningless, meaningless. It's ecclesiastes, it's a vapor, it's gone tomorrow. It never lasts. Now here's the scary part. I don't like this, but this is kind of where we kind of leave off here. In verse 10, because God so desperately wants that relationship with us, when our inverted priorities are realigned and place him at number one, he will allow whatever it takes to get our attention. Look at verses 10 and 11. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew and the earth its crops. I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains, on the grain, the new wine, the oil and whatever the ground produces, on men and cattle and on the labor of your hands. See, folks, when we drift... And we, pay, and we pay lip service to God. He is desperate to bring us back. And basically, folks, if you hear nothing else, know this. We come to God in one of two ways. What are two things are the cattles for coming back to God? One, through revelation. God graciously reveals himself to us in his, in his spoken word. And we actually go like this. Oh, my gosh, he's describing my life. Why is it up there on the screen? This is weird. We actually, look at this, this is like a mirror. I see my life in this. Revelation, God reveals himself to us and we have this like aha moment. We go, that's me, I need God. I, or affliction, the twin sister of revelation, affliction. Tragedy crashes down. And all we've been giving ourselves to is swept away and we have nothing or no one to catch us. Those are the only two catalysts for true spiritual growth. Revelation, affliction. And this one goes to 11. Obviously, if you could choose, what would you choose? revelation and maybe this is your clarifying moment in which you realize you are made for god until you give your life wholly over to him you will never truly be satisfied you know because you have you have this moment of revelation you realize i have tried everything else oh my gosh relationships money and i'm still at the bottom of the escalator and this is your moment i've cut god out of the picture i I have been giving priority to the gifts in my life rather than the giver. God, I, how can I not have seen this? I am so sorry. That's revelation. The other thing God uses to stir up our hearts is affliction when it all comes crashing down, as it did for the people in Haggai. So you get the promotion, but you lose your health. What the? You, you have the kids, oh, we've been hoping so long for a fan, but now all of a sudden you two are strangers. We've, like, drifted apart. I don't when. God allowed drought, he allowed it, leanness to come into the lives of his people. Why? Because he wasn't watching? Because he's cruel? Hardly. Because he loves us. And will do whatever it takes, including the painful process of smashing our idols to call us back to himself. Furniture, food, flat screens, fame, the curse of modern life is a deep-seated dissatisfaction. People have everything and yet are miserable. And so God gives, he sends the gifts that no one wants, affliction. In Haggai, God sent a literal hollowness so that his people would just kind of awaken from their idolatry and actually turn back to him. Psalm 106.15 puts it this way. It's an amazing verse. He says, he gave them their request, but sent what? Let's read it. Leanness into their soul. Leanness. Shallowness. What my friend called a hollowed out feeling. It was this longing. This longing for, for this. And our soul is never satisfied until we get our priorities straight. And here's, here's the deal, folks. At this moment, I just want to call this out right now in this room. It is very easy. You could feel despondent or guilty at this moment. Yeah, I have been neglected. Don't sit there. Feel it if it's true, but don't stay there. Because the Haggai is an invitation. God actually literally says, he says, reflect. Give careful thought to your ways. And it's this invitation to think a new thought. Repent. Learn to live an entirely new way. This is a book of hope. You're gonna see this. The whole thing, as you're gonna see in the weeks to come, is about rebuilding that intimate relationship with God. So if you're a longtime believer and you're going through a dry spell, this is your month, okay? You don't have to wait till this fall to like reconnect spiritually. God didn't go on vacay, He came to invite you today, okay? if you've never begun that relationship with God. Maybe you've just kind of tinkered with the idea, but surrendering your life to God fully, like wholeheartedly, that hasn't happened yet. This is your invitation. The the chorus of Haggai's song goes like this, right? First chorus, God wants a relationship with us. Second chorus, we neglect it. We build our kingdom instead of his. We give lip service instead of love, and, and, and we give love a bad name. Third verse, no matter how much we accomplish... It will still leave us empty. You planted much, but harvested little. You work your tail off, but you're not bearing fruit that lasts. Fourth chorus, come back. Come back. I want you back. I want to come back to the life I designed you for. That is the invitation of the final verses that we're going to end on here, verses 7 and 8, where God says to his people, give careful thought to your ways and now go. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build the house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. In other words, come back. Let's rebuild this together. No matter where you've been, where you are in this moment, God says put down the hammer, turn off your blackberry, and come back. Get off the escalator to nowhere. It is not too late. It is never too late. If you're nothing else, about the Christian faith, God of second chances, to realign your priorities and experience the life I created you for because apart from your work, apart from your stuff, apart from him, apart from her, come back to me and let's reboot this thing together. Note that he says it's actually going to take time and effort. It's like you have to go up into the mountains. <laughs> you might have to withdraw to hear my voice fully. <laughs> you have to do some, and bring the timber. There may be some heavy lifting involved here, okay? But I, wanna do you, I, want, you, I want us to do something that you've been putting off Build this. Build on the foundation maybe you had years ago, but it's just kind of let drift since, and, and now it's in ruins. Put this first, and then guess what? The rest, everything else, that will follow. That will flow from it. 500 years after Haggai, a Jewish rabbi came along, and he said it like this. Seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you as well. This was a moment of decision for Israel. And maybe it is for you too. Hey, the, the story of Haggai, folks, that's our story. Remember, we come to God in one of two ways. Revelation or affliction. <laughs> At the end, to come to the place where you've been investing yourself and running harder and realizing it needs nowhere. Affliction. And you miss out on this and all the joy of a life that was meant to have God in the driver's seat, not the back seat. God invites us to choose. That's his graciousness. He lets us choose. Choose revelation. You, you have a choice today. And in fact, I can think of just of two next steps for, for each of us, every person in this room watching online uh, to consider. Um, maybe it actually, your, your next step today is starting that relationship For the first time when god called them to rebuild the temple what that inferred there is that there already was a foundation to begin with rebuild the relationship before you can rebuild something you got to start it and a relationship with god is no different that rabbi who came 500 years later his name was jesus christ and he made this incredible statement that nobody understood he said destroy this temple and i will raise it again in three days He wasn't referring to the physical Jewish temple, but his physical body. And when Jesus Christ, when when God sent his son to die in our place, on a cross, it was God's way of saying, I love you this much. So much it hurts, I will pay the steepest price to win you back. And Jesus said, I will be afflicted to reveal God's love to you. That's what Jesus did. On the cross, he died in our place, all for the forgiveness of our sins. And when he was raised back to life three days later, it was so that we could begin a brand new life too. A life that is actually now forever connected with God. A life with meaning that actually starts here on earth and continues on into eternity, into heaven. It's not about just getting into heaven. It's starting this new life now that is a God-centered life that actually continues on into eternity. That's how you literally become a Christian. If, if you've been wondering, I want to make this as, as very clear for you. It is actually very simple. There's no, it's not about going to church. It's not about doing good stuff. It's not about trying to be a better person. You'll screw it up. It is literally about asking Jesus to come into your life be your God and give you a brand new one. That is how you begin a relationship with God. That is how you get to heaven. No amount of good works, that's the overflow of when God is at the center, but you're saved by saying, God, I am trusting in the death and resurrection of your son, Jesus, who died in my place to give me a new life with you. That is it. It's the sincerity of your heart. Maybe, I understand by the way, right now, maybe some of you have objections to that, that Verse 2, right? The time has not yet come to to, to build the Lord's... I get it. Maybe today's your day. I don't know. Maybe that's why you're here. Maybe that's why you came to the gas giveaway. It wasn't your friend. It it wasn't the music. You're sitting at home online right now in your office, in your underwear watching this, and you're like, "Uh, what is going on here? That's not me talking. That is Christ Jesus. Maybe this is your moment. You're here today. Because God wants you in his family. Come home. If that's you, I want to invite you. Just clear some space for you to pray right now. In fact, let's all just bow our heads. If you're in this room, and this is your moment, it's a holy moment, it's not my voice, that's God. You want to invite Jesus into your life to be your God. Just tell him can simply pray after me. Father, I've given everything. And I've come up short. So today, I am inviting your son Jesus into my life. Please give me new life. Thank you for dying, Jesus, for my sins and being raised to new life so that I can have a life with you. Your life for mine. Come in, Father. I want to live for you, and I need your help. I need your spirit. It's your words. This is your conversation with God. All heads are bowed. Nobody's, it's just you and God right now, If you're at home online or at other campuses, if that's you, just just slip up your hand. This is your prayer today. For the first time, I'm giving my life to Jesus Christ. This is your moment. Amazing. We had two people at the early service say, "This this is the day I stepped over it. Father, I pray that you would see right now into the deepest places. And Father, cast out any fear or guilt. And fill it with joy. Flood it in, Father God. That they may feel your embrace, your forgiveness, and now, Lord, to walk on in a new direction. We pray that in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. If, uh, if that was you, if that's your, your prayer today, or maybe it's actually uh, you're saying, gosh, this touched on something here, and I need someone to help me and, and come along. Would you just pull out of your bulletin? It's called a connection card. It looks like this. I want everybody actually to take this out, even if you've been coming for a long and and this is your moment, just to let us know that you were here. But on the back, it says, on my spiritual journey, I'm inviting Jesus Christ into my life for the first time today. If that's you, maybe you didn't put up your hand, you said, I want to know more about this or I got questions, just check that off. Or if there's something that we can pray for you by name, this is where you put it, where it says comments, prayer requests. We read everyone and we pray for you by name because that's the kind of church we are. We're about coming alongside of you, helping you take a next step back to God. So let us know what we can pray for. Or if there's an area where you're saying, wow, I'm really struggling this and this, this message kind of spoke to me and raised, raised that topic in my life, let us know so we can pray for you, right? We're not going to spam you or anything, but just fill that out and leave that on your seat. Maybe that is your prayer. I can think of that um, certainly for, for many of us. Maybe you've been in the Christian journey for some time, but you realize the priorities have slowly kind of shifted there. Haggai 5 uh, in, in 6 verses um, say, give careful thought, think about it. This week, think about this. And he gives these areas. You've planted much, but seen little fruit. You earn wages, and there's like holes in your pocket in your spiritual life. I don't know what it is for you. Maybe it's time. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's muscle. What are you investing in? What are you looking to for lasting return? Reflect and then repent. Rethink what you've known and come back. Come back to your first true love. That's what our. Our theme is here this August, and I suspect that's the longing of many of us here. So let's now just take a moment to pray to God together. Father God, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. And we thank you, Jesus, for giving us an appetite that nothing else in this world can fill. I pray right now, Lord, that even you would stir that hunger, Lord, and apart from our stuff, apart from our relationships with one another, Lord, call us back to yourself. Thank you, Father, that it's never too late, that there's no shame or no punishment waiting for those who are in Christ Jesus, but instead embrace and restoration. I pray that we would experience that now, even as we worship you and orient our hearts back to your home. In the name of Jesus, we all pray together. Amen.